you are the founder of Idwahda, right? Can you tell us about yourself and about the foundation? Sure. Um, just to clarify, I'm st- like I'm still not registered as a foundation, but I'm in the process of registering. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you know that uh, the, there are a lot of requirements and inspections and government checks yes. in order to, to, to become established. Uh, it's just been taking a bit of time, but hopefully by December I'll be uh, registered. Uh, for now, Eid Wahda is a social support uh, platform that engages, enables, and empowers uh, women and girls. Um, the motive behind it was to be able to provide uh, women and girl uh, survivors slash victims all over the country uh, from, uh, and, and, and directed to all different social classes with services they need uh, in order to empower them. Uh, I want the, my main goal was to provide them with cross-cutting tools um, so uh, we were able to establish uh, and collaborate with Shaznong to provide uh, to provide them with the free therapy sessions, um, and we were also uh, able to partner up with Matis Al, which is um, basically a legal team where they provide pro bono legal aid. So all women and girls have access to their rights and can understand directly from verified lawyers. Uh, what their options are and what their rights are because as you know there's a lot of word of mouth and a lot of um, misunderstandings with regards to uh, legalities and laws here and uh, lastly we um, a lot of women and girls are looking for jobs because um, they're not financially independent unfortunately and I realized that a lot of those who should be who are at an age uh, and who should be employed are not. Uh, and that's based on the survivors' anonymous stories we've been receiving on the group. And we currently have over 120 testimonies. Uh, we collaborated with Naya and uh, we direct them to, to Naya, uh, char- the Naya charity. And they automatically uh, like interview them and find and, and guide them towards different SMEs. But this was the main motive behind it. Uh, I wanted them, I wanted women and girls to feel safe. And I wanted them to feel like it's, it's, it's their, their place to fall back onto when they feel like there's nothing, that, when they feel like they're alone. Ashan, a lot of the times women and girls, especially in our country, feel like, La'ana, I can't speak to this, to my friends about it, or I can't speak to my family members because of uh, social stigma. But Bastiani, I really wanted them to find a place where they can openly vent and feel like they belong to a community. So that was the main motive behind Eid Wahda. Um, as for me, Anna, I, um, I have a legal background. I, uh, I graduated from uh, SOAS University in 2011 I, uh, I, from law school. I'm, um, I'm current, and then I worked in different law firms in Egypt from uh, Hafiz Avocat Arbitration to Baker McKenzie to Zaki Hashem to uh, El Kamil. So I did my fair share of um, yani, dipping my toe in different firms, but I realized that you know, this field wasn't for me. Um, for bus, and then I decided I wanted to pursue my master's 
in sustainable development and I've been doing this online with SOAS University, Bordeaux, the, 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 the university I went to for my undergrad. And I'm actually writing my dissertation on the social and cultural hindrances uh, in the context of Egypt um, that, um, that impact the empowerment of women and girls and uh, therefore uh, achieving sustainable development goal five, which is basically achieving gender equality by 2030. And Egypt is a, a member state that signed up for the, the under the, like the sustainable development goals. Fabas, so uh, since then I've just been, and I worked at UN Women for a few years. I learned a lot. Um, it made me realize a lot. And, uh, and then just things fell into place. But uh, like in, uh, in June, I started Eid Wahda. And since I've just been trying to really establish something that, um, that is, that's long-term. And uh, that's why I want, my goal is to uh, raise funds and to provide women and girls uh, with proper uh, shelters and facilities uh, in, in all governorates because th th there's only eight women and shelters in all of Egypt as of now and we don't even know if they're functioning or if they're not. We, there's a lack of um, transparency between the availabilities, uh, the eligibility, uh, the way uh, shelters have been impacted due to corona. And I made a statement on, the, uh, on our Instagram page, Ash, and I wanted to know from the UN and from the Maglis al Komi and USAID because this was there, like I know they inaugurated a shelter last uh, December in 2019. So I wanted to know some answers because there are a lot of survivors who ask for shelter and I do not have the answers for that. And I do not have a place for them to reside. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, Yanni, that's about it in a nutshell. Yeah, that's really great and very much needed in our country, specifically, especially that, you know, women don't have usually place to go to. And, and as you said, there is only eight shelters and I don't even know mm. if they are functioning enough. So mm. about that, do you think that there is still much cooperation that must be done from the government, like, you know, between NGOs and, um, and the government and institution to make it better for women? I think that um, the government is, uh, is uh, very adaptive and is very um, open to collaborating with different foundations and different NGOs. But it's a matter, uh, I think it's more a matter of these uh, agencies and the way they, they, they provide for services and they provide for tools because there's only so much the government can do. Um, for me, the most thing I, and the first thing I want to do is, is uh, collaborate and partner with the Ministry of Social Solidarity and to achieve something really, uh, like to accomplish something that's never been done before here in Egypt. Uh, and to that kind of level, to provide women and girls with services and, and, and functions that that is that you can actually compare to those that are renowned and established abroad. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think, and no, it's not the government. I think it's more, because the government, they have a lot, they have a lot on their plate. So when say an age, like, so say Anna and Shola, when I register as a foundation and I 
I approach the Ministry of Social Solidarity and I tell them I raised Masan X amount of funds and this is what I want to do and this is what I want to achieve. It's, of course, they need to cross-check and see that the deliverables and what I want to achieve is in line with uh, our like national strategy. But also it's up to Eid Wahda as a foundation to make sure that the services that are provided are also uh, yani up to par. Uh, this is our like this this is our job our job is to implement what we what we basically uh, uh, promise or collaborate with the government about yes i see so from dealing with different you know different cases of women who have been exposed to violence what do you think are the most common causes that held them back from coming forward do you think that there is common thing between them or everyone has its individual cause um i think generally it's very subjective but i think that there are two the, the, there are two main factors that are common denominators in most of the cases number one it's access to justice they do not have access to justice yes there are laws a hundred percent but the the problem is is uh, laws by by itself are not enough they need to be, they need to have access to justice in order to get their rights and to implement these laws within a time frame that doesn't put put them more at risk and a lot of survivors know that um the judicial process takes a very long time and therefore what happens if like they they hear and there's worse something called word of mouth they hear that if they do report you know it's basically a vicious cycle because it takes too long so in the end they're going to they're going to harm themselves more than they're actually going to benefit from reporting um cases take a very long time and they do not have that luxury of time and that's why i always say there needs to be a special public prosecutor's office only for violence against women and girls that in that case they're going to speed up the judicial process and also there has to be gen uh, gender sensitive uh, specialists that are there to help these um, survivors not to re-victimize them a lot of the times when they they report they end up feeling worse off and re-victimized and the people that are dealing with them are not very sensitive towards them but these are the two um, main, like this is the major thing I've seen in, 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 as a common denominator. Taban, every case is subjective and every case is different. But um, yeah, I do think that that's the main problem with reporting is that uh, they, they, they don't have the luxury of time. And, um, and in the end, it harms them more than it benefits them. Yani, there's a there's a case I've been we've been helping a, a survivor basically who her husband attacked her with a razor and completely like yani, bruised and 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 yani, really hurt her face. She had to get over twenty stitches, and with a razor he did that to her. And this happened on the twenty ninth of September. She finally she finally galha galsa. Like her, her court hearing is on the 14th of December. So from the 29th of September until the 14th of December, her husband is roaming around freely in town and he's, and he's living his life normally. That in itself is a very big problem. And that, that is really affecting her also psychologically. And not only did he harm her mentally and physically and emotionally, but also even after she reported it's still something that's bothering her that she cannot have access to justice because 
she can't stay seeing someone who really hurt her uh, for four, uh, being free for almost three months is, is, is a lot on, on, on someone to handle. Yes. So from your legal background, what do you think, you know, makes the legal process take so much time? Um, you know, I think that the problem is, is that um, the, I think that the public prosecution is bombarded with so many different cases that, that literally there isn't enough time for, for someone to be able to, to, to cater to all of these different cases. Um, I think it's a matter of literally having, as I said, a specific public prosecutor's office only for violence against women, because then that way it's going to save so much time. Anything that anything that's not related to violence against women and girls, then they have their own separate office where they can go complain. But I think you know, the problem is, is that yes. uh, it's just, it's too much for, for, for one entity basically to handle for the whole nation. Yeah. So, I wonder if unemployment and an education for women is a cause that, you know, held them back from coming forward, like they don't have a source of income or something. Does this, you know, is this really happening? Is this true? I think that uh, financial dependence uh, plays a very big role in this. Uh, it, uh, this, is, this is the main this is the main factor that keeps uh, women and girls in abusive and, and, and domestic abuse, basically, because the, it's the fear factor of being out in the streets and not having anything. And, and then, uh, and because they do not, they're not financially independent, then um, they put up with things they usually wouldn't have put up with. And they know that if they do report and, um, a member in their household finds out, then it, then what, the same outcome is going to happen, that they'll be thrown out in the streets with nothing. So 100%, I think that um, uh, lack of unemployment and, and education, Taban, is the root of unemployment, uh, plays a very big factor in terms of, uh, of reporting and leaving abusive, uh, like an, an abusive household, basically. Yeah, so despite all of the things that you mentioned, you know, the hard process and the hard legal process and the unfinancial un independence, what makes women, you know, just say enough, say enough is enough and just come forward? Um, I think when women decide, I think what makes them say enough is enough is when they know that they have some, that they feel like they have something to fall back onto. I think now a lot of women feel like even if my case is not going to be heard, then I can access different um, entities like assault police, like Eid Wahda, like Rape Whistle. There are all these different, um, basically, uh, like pages and, and initiatives right now, where I think that in itself gives women and like provides women and girls with more of a clutch and something to fall back onto. Um, but most of the time for them to, to really like push through and say enough is enough and they'd rather stay in the streets than be in, in an abusive relationship is when they actually fear for their lives. Yes, I see. And that's why it's important to have so many initiatives like this, because if you can yeah. access to this one, you can access to the, to the exactly. other. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like that, like that, um, like that survivor, Hiba, who, um, 
who reached out to us, the yeah. one who got uh, attacked by her husband. And we've been trying to help her since we, 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 we got her a good plastic surgeon. We are, and then after that, we're, we're offering her laser treatment to get rid of scores. And we're offering her a um, free therapy with an amazing uh, therapist that I personally know and who has been, uh, who's a big professor in AUC and who's been actually working as a researcher at the Al Majlis Al Komil Al Mar'a for the past, previously for about 10 years. So she's a very renowned and established woman. So we are trying to enable Ba'a Hiba. And Taman, now our last drop, our last thing for us to actually help her is to get to provide her with access to justice and for her hearing to be her, her court hearing to, to be heard earlier than, the December, than December 14th. Yes, and I've checked that case and it's, it's really devastating and I just can't believe that there's actually someone who can do this, this much harm yeah. to another. So yeah. f from that point, what do you think is usually the cause of violence towards these women? Is it something common between men or families? You know, I think that the pro I think I know. Unfortunately, just like you cannot stereotype, but most uh, like unfortunately most relationships most uh, abusive uh, any most violent cases arise from the fact that it's something that we as as not only a nation but as the whole world have normalized we normalize the concept of oh a, a girl uh, be, uh, being gra getting grabbed in the streets like this is something that yeah. we hear so often that we normal like we normalize it. Someone calling out and saying something rude or vulgar or sexual to you. That's a given. That's standard. There's not a single, I know for a fact that there's not a single time if I, I walk down in the streets or if you walk down in the streets that we're not, we're going to be left in peace. That's mustahil. There's no way that can happen. And that's the problem falls back onto a, the way we normalized it as, as the world did. And as Egypt, we have too. And B, the problem is, is that these young boys grow up seeing their fathers, their older brothers, their uncles, their cousins. If a woman walks down the street, they start whistling. They start calling out names. They, 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 you know, that it's a domino effect that the boys, when they grow up, they're used to seeing that. Yes. So they're gonna, they do the exact same thing. And it's just a repetitive cycle that goes on and on and on. And the only way to stop this from happening is if, if, if they know that if a woman files a report, then he or she will get her access to justice and he will be punished and there will be consequences. There has to be a fear factor uh, um, rooted in these people in order to stop them from doing that yeah so it's both cultural and also the wrong raising exactly a hundred percent it's just something we normalize and we see as we normalize it we are like this is the way it is basically there's nothing we could do about it and then they're they're brought up seeing this and taban when you're young uh, you look at others and they lead by example. So it's something you're used to seeing and it's just something rooted in us. It's so strange, actually. Yeah, I've yeah, never I, any. yeah, I know like many cases and many women who would go to, for example, their family that their husband is beating them and they're just like, it's okay, like, you know, uh, ah. handle it, it's okay. But the problem is it's not okay. 
At times they say it's good. It's good that he's, he's, he's showing emotion. It's good that he's, uh, he's beating you up. This, this means he cares. This means that he, there's emotion there. If he didn't do that, then, then it's bad. It means he doesn't care. I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, I heard that as well. It's very irrational. I mean, how could someone who loves you or care about you for, it's sad. for a bit do that? Yeah. yeah, it's very sad. Yes, indeed. So going back to the legal procedure, do you think mm-hmm. that there is um, a specific clause that makes it harder for women in the, uh, the, the judiciary system? Because I, I read about a couple of articles and subsections mm-hmm. that kind of you yeah. know, um, gets the yeah. manless charges because it's yeah. his wife. Is that true? Yes. Yes. Okay. The thing, okay. There are two things that are a very big factor uh, in my opinion. Number one, that there's no direct law with regards to domestic abuse. Okay. And the reason being, I think is because, um, based on the Sharia jurisdiction, the husband does have the right to discipline his wife, discipline his wife as in Yani, he can hit her, can to discipline her, but however, he cannot touch her face and he cannot bruise her. He could, she could not, she shouldn't have bruises. Therefore, uh, if her, uh, uh, if a woman, so say for example, my husband beats me up and bruises my face, then I go to the police station. If I go to the police station, then I need the witness. I need the witness of of the in the police station to see that I'm bruised, to see that my face is masan, uh, blue because of, of my husband. Once I have that, then, then my husband could get arrested. If I don't have all of this and all of these factors, then, uh, he, then he won't get arrested. Yeah, which is usually doesn't exist because either she reports this, late exactly. or she doesn't have a witness. She either reported late, she's too, she's too bruised and hurt to leave the house. She's too afraid to leave the house. She doesn't have the means to go somewhere. She doesn't, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of different factors that make it close to impossible to do it. Yes, I see. Is that what it's called, husn al Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. And, you know, uh, recently there was, um, yeah, I mean, they changed this law. Best bat, yani, I, I, I don't know exactly what date, but um, I, I can send it to you. Basically, back like a few years ago, uh, if a woman was raped, Meshi, mm. and the man the next day, my son marries her, then he's not a criminal, and there's and he and uh, it's it's not it's it's not it wasn't perceived as a crime. Yeah, yeah, I read about that as well. Like there is a whole document that um, you know kind of uh, represents the whole laws that really discriminate between men and women, and that was yeah. very shocking. It that was, was included. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, what else um, in the legal process uh, you would like to touch on? Um, I think like for me, the most thing that I find to be very important is to have clear and direct laws, clear and direct laws, as in like, there shouldn't be subsections, uh, that exonerate basically the the punishment. But I think there need to be clear and direct laws with regards to exactly what domestic abuse is exactly. I know that there is a law on sexual harassment, but I think it needs to be even more clarified so that there's no room for loopholes or for, or for lawyers or defense lawyers to, to outsmart or to find a loophole in the, 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 the 
the the yeah, pen, yeah. like the the, the clause very elastic yeah, the so article yeah for interpretation exactly the article so that he so that uh, the the like the defendant can get away with the crime he committed um that's number one and i think that uh, there needs to there really needs to be a a facelift with regards to the services offered to women and girls that go and report that the people who deal with them have to be very sensitive and they need to actually be supportive instead of humiliating them and re-victimizing them and i think that um Taiwan, the public, prosecute, uh, public prosecutor's office for violence against women and girls is necessary and it has to, and it's a must. Yes, I see. So I would touch on a delicate issue. Do you think that we need more um, women justice? Uh, I think, you know, and um, I traveled uh, with the UN women uh, in 2017 to see a, 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 like a services that they provide for violence against uh, women, for victims of violence against women and girls. And uh, basically they, they, did pro they did have a public prosecutor's office uh, specifically for them. And also all of the people and all of the women and all of those who were providing them with services were women. And they, they saw, and, and it was researchly proven that by having women around, it made women feel more comfortable. And because there's relatability and there's, they, they feel like these, like those that are like the therapists that are, um, we'll that are women, them. yeah, will understand them and they will, they, they, and they won't be as embarrassed. So I definitely do feel like if this, I hope one day that we could, we could provide for a public prosecutor's office specifically for violence against women and girls that I think for sure that they have to be all women, but also Taban, any, there are some women that also are not very understanding. So that doesn't mean that they would also be sensitive. And it has to be a very, any, a, we need, like it has balanced. to be done very, yeah, balanced and done in a very uh, a tactical and smart way in order to really m make these women and girls feel like there's hope and like they will achieve what they want to achieve and like they're heard and like they belong and like and and not to feel embarrassed of themselves yeah so about the specific department for violence of women in the public prosecution has anyone mm. pr proposed anything to start no. it not at, no. not at all like i no have no, I have. I have, like, since, like, I've been doing research and I've realized that the, the amount of time this judicial process takes. And I, when I was working at UN Women, it was also something that we, like, that the, the project I was working on was actually called Access to Justice. And it's something that uh, we worked on. But as you know, the problem with these kind of projects is that they're funded by donors. And once, basically, the, like, the donor funds end and the term of the funding basically and the project ends it's very hard for sustainability to happen but usually when these donor funds end the project is done yeah so we don't need to kind of you know propose it in the senate or in you know a specific ministry would propose it or anything specific no, I think I, I, you know, I traveled with 16 women judges uh, when I went to Madrid with UN Women. And I think they all are, I think the, the government is aware of this service, but I think you know, it's up to us or like Eid Wahda even as a foundation to make sure we establish that. Yeah, so with it's the easy, government. So it's easy to get, but people have to come forward uh, together exactly. to ask for it. 
Mm -hmm. yeah, I so I think that's it. Do you think would like to add anything else important? Do you think? Um, I I just uh, the the only thing I have to say is um, I hope that people could just be more understanding with one another and could stop. Um, and when a, a victim or a survivor basically wants to share her case or wants to report not to automatically assume that she's making it up and question what has happened to her i think that we need to believe before we start questioning um that's that that's the last thing i want to say and thank you very much for having me very honored to have you here and i really got a lot of this thank you thank you thank you, thank you.